Barukatah Adonai, Eloheinu Melekaolam, Asher Kirishanu Bimitsutah Betibanu, La Sok Bedivre Torah, Veha Revna Adonai, Eloheinu et Divre Torateka, Befinu Ufi Amka Bet Israel, Venie Anaknu, Vete Eta Enu, Vete Eta E Amka Bet Israel, Kulanu Yodea Shemeka Velamde Torateka Lishma, Barukatah Adonai, Hamlamed Torah Leamo Yisrael. Baruch Ata Adonai, Eloheinu Melekaolam, Asher Bachar Banu Miko Hamin, Ve Natan Lanu et Torato. Baruch Ata Adonai, Noten Ha Torah. Amen. Yehi Ratzon Milfameka Adonai, may it be your will, Hashem my God, that a mishap not come about through me. And may I not stumble in the matter of Torah and cause my colleagues to rejoice over me. And may I not say regarding something which is to me that it is to whore, and now regard something which is to whore that it is to me. And may my colleagues not stumble in the matter of Torah and I rejoice over them. For Hashem grants wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding of God. Unveil my eyes that I may perceive wonders from your Torah. Amen. Amen. We want Mashiach now. Welcome to the rumination for Parashat Told Goat. And without further ado, take it away, Shlomo. And hello once again. So, rumination six. Did the patriarchs keep the Torah before? It was given at Sinai. <laughs> Classic historical question. This is interesting too, because the question I would juxtapose to this is, was the Mashiach known before he was born? It harkens back to uh, rumination four. Is the Messiah divine? Mm -hmm. It's interesting too because we have an official giving of the Torah, but like Torah being eternal, and it's like if it has an official giving date, then what is the before or after? You know, like obviously once once something happens in a linear format, it's like, okay, at that particular point forward, it's like, all right, cool. But like, if something is outside of time, and by the way, is the tool that created time, how do you quantify that, you know? Uh, I kind of default to Rashi when he says on Genesis 1.1, it is the beginning of his way. Yeah. Reshit. Um, me and Ray have been reading from uh, Kabbalah, the Adamic Messiah. And. By the way, are y'all going to podcast that? Hey, I'm morning. 
Up for that. I mean, I would love to be like listening to that and stuff, you know. <laughs> um, this may like sound like a controversial statement, but there's no such thing as morality. Okay. So where does it go from there? I derived that statement from Rashi's statement when he says it's the beginning of his way. When you get married, what's one of the things as a husband or wife that you should do? Are you talking like technical halakha or like just the way you think or just in general? Um, we all have our own way of doing things. My mother always says to me, Rick, you're set in your ways. <laughs> I always get this statement from my mother and I realize where she's really, I don't know if she realizes where she's really going with it, but then learning what pleases your partner. Uh. Because the Torah is after all a, a marriage document and the Shem is laying out the guidelines wow. for what uh, pleases him. It's not that we're trying to appease him. No, we don't need to do that. That's yeah. pagan thinking. That's the thinking of the nations. No, um, it's about walking in his way. Mm. This is what Abraham did. Um, yeah, Abraham was certainly not focused on appeasing Hashem. But, you know, that's the difference between teshuva out of fear and teshuva out of love. Mm -hmm. Or performing a mitzvot out of love versus fear. Because we know there's two Hebrew words for that. There's yireh, a reverential fear, respect. Because after all, we are in a relationship. Because yeah. that's what it is to be in the covenant. And then there's someone who keeps the mitzvot out of fear, pakad. Like, yeah, like the bully you're afraid of in the schoolyard situation, you know? Mm -hmm. um, Which we do know that fear and love are the two wings that help the mitzvot fly. But that would be Yerat Hashem. For the sake of heaven or yeah, for earthly reasons. Or for your own per or your own personal reasons. You know, we don't do the misfold because we're looking for personal gain. Um that that makes the Torah become death. Yeah. Which is what Shaul was talking about. <laughs> but that which is life to me become death. Yes. 
Or I would not know what sin was except for the Torah. Mm-hmm. But there's see, there's some other confusion regarding the word kata. Everyone thinks it's sin. No, it's to miss the mark. Yep. That's, that's three Hebrew words for sin. Yes, that's its true definition. Because that's the dichotomy between that and Torah is to hit a mark because um, the Hebrew word for arrow can be found in the Torah. Mm-hmm. So you pull back, you draw back your bow, you let that arrow go, you want it to be on target. Yeah, it's interesting because I say that's what prayer is, like shooting a, a bow. And that's the uh, the root that you're talking about in Torah. And I believe it is the action of that root word for uh, arrow uh, is the word Yehudi, because that means to cast or to throw. But anyway, you were, you were, I think you were going somewhere with the uh, morality and putting that with what's the first thing you should do when you get married? Um, we're learning through study of the Torah what Hashem expects of us, but it's, it's got to be more than that. It's got to be a desire. And it's a desire that he implants in us because it's what Yochanan says in his first letter, he who has the seed of God in him does not miss the mark. Hmm. Now I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> so it's like having a, a desire implanted in us. Um, I mean, we know from the Midrash that the name of Mashiach is one of the seven things that existed before the creation. Yes. Um, pointing to your question. <laughs> um, so here's the thing. Since ancient times, our sages have given the patriarchs a free ride, it seems. They teach that the patriarchs were almost always motivated by the purest of motives even when their actions seem less than honorable. And the sages teach that the patriarchs kept the same traditions they did, traditions that we keep even today. And we know that the patriarchs made their mistakes. Right. Um, Like Abraham lying about his wife to Pharaoh. Oh, she's just, just, just my sister. Then he has these bad dreams that came from Hashem, obviously. And so the next day he confronts Abram and says, hey, you told me this was your sister. So why is it that I had these dreams last night and Hashem's warning me to return her to you? Because hmm. if I don't, all this is going to befall me. And Isaac does the same thing. 
like father like son and i'm like okay there's something going on here all right <laughs> the only person who didn't do that was yakov oh yep or yosef but in the case of yakov he deceived esau for the birthright yep and Mita Kanega Mita, uh, he was deceived because his brothers lied to him about Yosef. Wow. With, you know, splashing goat's blood on the coat of many colors. Hey, a goat just, you know, beast in the field just ripped him to shreds and then we had to bury him, you know. When in fact, oh. they really tossed him in a pit. And the sage is like in a pit to a place where you can't study Torah. Hmm. Then he was sold to the, uh, I think it was the Midianites, if I'm right. Yep. Then the Ishmaelites. Yeah. And then off to Egypt he goes. So, to uh, consider the following verses from Parashat Todot. Then Hashem appeared to him, Isaac, and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to, I, to Abraham, your father, and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because, and this is important, it's bold, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge my commandments my statutes and my laws so the hebrew words me Shemaroti, my safeguards, mitzvote, my commandments, hukote, my statutes, and torate, my instructions. Our words, some do not consider applicable prior to Exodus 20 when the Torah is given at Mount Sinai. But is this correct? Meaning to repeat that there are those who think that these are not applicable prior to Sinai. And the answer is no, it is not. The notion that the law was suddenly given in Exodus 20 is part of a narrative that tries to distinguish between ceremonial laws 
i.e. Jewish stuff, and moral laws, i.e. universal Christian stuff. Oh of, course, of course, we can now see through, uh, see through that not so subtle agenda, which is that those laws given after Genesis and before Matthew have no jurisdiction. This is utter nonsense. There are no such silly dispensations. Well, this guy needs to work on his honesty, that's for sure. <laughs> Just kidding. That was terrible. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you and I both know that, that is the narrative. You, It's a really interesting place to, to live and say that you love God, but yet the only things that are binding to you are what Paul says or whatever you're okay with doing, you know, whatever you feel led by the spirit to do is how it's phrased. But usually you find no basis for it. For instance, you know, uh, currently there's people dressed up in costumes going around door to door asking for candy. And there are religious establishments that actually uh, facilitate this and make it into a big festival and make it about evangelism and things like that. When the very root of this particular holiday is not found in the Torah or the word of God anywhere. And it's a commercialized thing. It's, you know, all sorts of stuff that has nothing to do with Hashem. So as far as what we just read in this previous paragraph, I mean, it's, it's pretty blatant. He's not mincing words here. <laughs> He's not messing with the peas and the potatoes. He's going for the steak. <laughs> right. You know, it's, and it needs to be said. You know, it's, I was perusing Instagram yesterday and mm -hmm. I decided to take a look at the <clears throat> congregation my wife and I used to go to out in California. Um, and, like it just pointed out, a bunch of pictures of people dressing in costumes. <laughs> Man. And I, I just keep thinking of Shaul's statement, what fellowship does light have the, with darkness? Come on, exactly. And we also need to remember that God separated the light from the darkness and the darkness mm. he called night and the light he called day. Mm. And there was evening and morning the first day. And he saw that it was good. Kitov. <laughs> See, that's just the other thing is he has determined what is good. That simply is not up to us to determine. Right. He's the creator, we're the created. Yeah, you know, the uh, crazy part about it is the world has been going through 
what has been called the pandemic. And there's been lots of reports about death and things like that, right? So the crazy part is people freak out. They don't want to die. They want to give the vaccines and all this kind of stuff. But yet this particular holiday is all about death and dressing up like death and being like decorate your house in it. And then at the same time, it's like, no, but I don't want this, though. I don't I don't want I don't want to die, you know, and things like that. And I'm just kind of like, oh, we're trying to get death out of the world. <laughs> you know, I'm walking, walking at the park with my son and there's like pe- people decorating their yards and fences with skulls and skeletons and witches. And I'm like, are you serious right now? Like, have face masks not been enough for people? You know, like. Yeah, it's anyway, it's, but that's yeah, that's not a, what we're here for. for <laughs> yeah, I mean, they want to embrace this stuff, and yet at the same time, they reject the very words that were spoken at Sinai words of life, not death. Yeah, it is a tree of life to those who grasp hold of it. What do we do every Shabbat? We grab the Torah scroll. We hold it up. This is the Torah of Hashem brought down by the hand of Moshe. It's a reminder that this didn't come from us. It came from Hashem. Hmm. Not laws of men. Wow. And the church has gotten this one wrong in their interpretation of Shaul. Let no one judge you based on a holiday. Or Moadim yeah. drink <laughs> or you know festival. <laughs> yeah, because he was totally talking about Moadim in the Torah, not <laughs> other holidays. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. I mean, we're touching on costumes. It brings up Purim where you know the Jewish people wear costumes, but Thankfully, it's costumes that are um, relevant to the holiday. Yeah. Some people dress up as Mordecai, Haman, Esther, you know, that kind of thing. Or do the masquerade mask. Yeah. No. <laughs> but we don't do like the demons or ghoulies. No, none of that. Or... Yeah. It's a happy time, you know. A sense all the Moadim are. Well, the Shalosh Regalim, yes, for sure. Because those are the ones that are primarily mentioned where every every male is required to appear before Hashem and you don't get to show up empty-handed. Right. Whatever Hashem is giving you, that's what you bring. Yep. Even if it's a little bit of flour. In your hand. Here's my here's my grain offer. <laughs> and even then, you're to bring your best. Mm-hmm. Don't pull a cane. Oh yeah, man. <laughs> That's the other interesting thing. The Shabbat day was not suddenly revealed in Exodus 16. Wow. 
again, this goes back to the garden. Oh my goodness. Because the whole thing with uh, the song to the Shabbat that Adam uh -huh. created yeah. means more sheer. I think that's Psalm 92. Or when we sing uh, Le Kadodi. Yeah. First in D or last in D, but first in thought. Yeah. Get you some of that. Yeah. But yeah, this this um, oh go ahead. Yeah, Psalm 92. That's the psalm that Adam wrote uh to the Shabbat. Since we technically should have got kicked out of the garden. Uh, since we sinned before Shabbat with the tree, but due to the timing, Shabbat ended up happening, and through the Shabbat, we were actually preserved in the garden after our sin. So that's what that psalm is all about. Mm. Yeah. And again, we're talking about Adam, like yeah. very beginning in creation. <laughs> Shabbat being, you know, primordial to the first week, you know, it's, it's good. Yeah, it's, um, he was created, and to quote the Midrash, he was created outside the garden so that he would see the result of disobedience. And that's that's from the Midrash says. I've read it. Yeah. The the place of thorns, he was created uh with thorns surrounding him. And what was placed on Mashiach's head. Yeah. Crown of thorns. That's a reminder. He took on the curse, that particular yep. one. Yep. For us. So and then the Torah tells us that. Hashem placed Adam in the garden. Nice. Yeah, it's interesting. I got uh, John five twelve up. All right. In the CJB. Now that day was Shabbat, so the Judeans said to the men who had been healed, It's Shabbat. It's against Torah for you to carry your mat. But he answered them, The man who healed me, he's the one who told me, Pick up your mat and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who told you to pick it up and walk? But the man who had been healed didn't know who it was because Yeshua had slipped away into the crowd. Oh. Afterwards, Yeshua found him in the temple court and said to him, see, you are well. Now stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went off and told the Judeans that it was Yeshua who had healed him. And on account of this, the Judeans began harassing Yeshua because he did these things on Shabbat. 
Side note, the fact that this man was once lame and now walking, no one was paying attention to that. They were all like, why are you breaking Halaka, man? Like, seriously? That's the thing. Like, oh, in the my... days of our master, Halaka wasn't codified yet. Yeah. But I'm just thinking about the scenario of like, what you doing? What you doing using your legs? Like, what is this? It's like, well, I just got them back, so I don't know. I got to figure life out again. Or, oh man. <laughs> and then there's Peter and John walking up to the gate, beautiful in Acts uh, three, and they find yeah. the lame, lame man there. <laughs> I just love that one. I keep drawing on that one, you know, because silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have. I do have. I give you, in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, get up and walk. And boom, he gets up and he walks. Nice. Yeah, John 5 goes on. Uh, but he answered them, my father has been working until now, and I, too, am working. This answer made the Judeans all the more intent on killing him. Not only was he breaking Shabbat, but also by saying that God was his own father. He was claiming equality with God. Therefore, Yeshua said to said this to them yes indeed i tell you that the son cannot do anything on his own but only what he sees the father doing i could take this and connect it with exodus chapter three mm -hmm. where he hashem tells moshe to take your hand and put it inside your um your clothing or your yep. like your cloak or whatever and tells mm -hmm. him to pull it out and it was leprous right mm -hmm. and then put it back in and then take it back out and it was healed there are some of the opinion that this occurred on shabbat oh what <sighs> yeah we need a source if we're gonna go with that man. i know I'm just stating that it's, I've heard a, a opinion stated that oh. it does, it definitely needs to be sourced out, but I've heard it said though. <laughs> That's a Chuck Norris roundhouse kick to the face. <laughs> like Hashem healing on Shabbat, really? Yeah. If there's a source to back this up. Man. Because, yeah, like Keep you going. just said, Keep this going. is Hashem that healed Moshe. <laughs> or better yet, Moshe complains, I got this really bad stutter, man. I can't utter a word without tripping over my tongue. And who gave man, and Hashem says, who gave man a tongue so that he may speak? Exactly. That's, yeah, that's Dafei Tang. You know, he said he indicates the Kabbalah that the 
power of speech was concealed at that time, which is why Moshe stuttered. Man. So speech had to be rectified. I know. Um, yeah, the Sabbath day was not suddenly revealed in Exodus 16. <laughs> it was revealed as Hashem's holy standard in Genesis 2. Mm. Pigs <laughs> and rats day. did not suddenly become unkosher in Leviticus 11. Wow. Noah used only clean animals for an offering in Genesis 8. Mm. How did he know this? Let's go back before this, though, because it's uh, Genesis 3, you know, Cain and Hevel. Right. How did Hevel know to bring an Olam offering along with his grain offering? Mm. Yeah, because he technically he could have brought a pig. That's another good point. How did he know what to bring and what not to bring as an offering? Man. He had to learn it from Adam. And Adam had to learn that from Hashem. Because when they transgressed, they tried to cover up their sin with the fig leaves. Yeah. And that that didn't work out so well. And this Hashem provided them with skins of an animal. That was kosher. Yeah, there's that. A little thought just ran through my mind about the fig leaves is that, you know, the uh, the fig tree and the figs are likened to Torah and Torah study. And uh, this is in Eruvine 54 saying that uh, matters of Torah are like figs that there should always be some ripe fig on the tree because figs are in and out of season, but it doesn't ripen all at once. So it's interesting that Adam and Hava ran to a fig tree to cover up. And it's like this whole seeming of like the Torah has to cover our sins kind of thing. Or if we sin, we should run to Torah. So I don't, I, don't, I know there's not a source on that, but it just kind of made me think about the, uh, the implications of what the intentions could have been, you know, as opposed to just saying, let's go get fig leaves, sew them together and cover up. And then you think about why did Yeshua come and check the fig tree? So, anyway, that was just something ran through my mind. Yeah, he saw no fruit on it. Then he pronounced a curse on it. Let no fruit grow on you from now, from now on. Yep. 
it's almost like he's saying, you know, if you study Torah, make certain that you share it. <laughs> yeah. Be fruitful with it. You know, make more, make Talmudim. Yep. So most of the particulars of burnt offerings did not suddenly appear in Leviticus 1. Wow. Uh, see, Abel understood in Genesis 4. Circumcision is not something first commanded in Leviticus 12. Mm. Abraham circumcised himself and his household Genesis 17 and Isaac on the eighth day in Genesis 21. Now also note, according to the Rambam, that he says that the covenant was efficacious before Abraham circumcised himself and his household. Yep, true. That's where Shaul got his horse from. Yep. Which this paragraph right here that we just read, man, like this is like hands down, like so legit, like one of the most legit things we read from the rumination so far. Because I mean, if you really think about it, like how we read the Torah in chronological order in our minds, but yet the Torah is completely like it's not like that. There's no before or after in the Torah. <laughs> and it's just like, don't just think, you know, Abraham didn't know Kashru because it was in Leviticus. You know, it's just like, <laughs> what? That's heavy, man. Yeah, you know, Adam did Kashru. Hevel did Kashru. You know, I mean... I mean, you know, everything can be traced back to the garden because Hashem spoke these instructions to each generation that was willing to obey him. Yeah, it was Shavile uh, Pincus, actually. I think either last year or the year before, he said the 613 mitzvot were given to Adam. And they were in the form of the positive and the negative. The positive was, uh, I think it was like, you know how it was like watching 10 in the garden? It was the two words in Hebrew of what we're supposed to do with the garden. One word indicated the positive commandments, the 248. And the other word indicated the negative commandments, the 365. <laughs> and that was actually encoded within the phrase of, tend to work the garden and all that. So we were given the whole entire Torah from the get-go, which I found like very amazing. And I was just like, now we can understand why Yeshua would tell us all the Torah is summed up in this, you know, like all 613 commandments are actually bound in one. But anyway, so that would be Shomer, 
uh, I, I think I saw John keeping guard the garden or work it, keep him work it. Yeah. He had a beautiful uh, layout of it, but I just remember the, the main takeaway was that. I was just like, oh my gosh. That is crazy. Oh yeah, here it is. So two Genesis two fifteen. So then Hashem took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to till it and tend it, which is uh, Avoda and Shamra, Shamira. So like to work and to guard, which is interesting because it's the root Evid, Evid and Shomer. And Evid is servant. Yep. But see, he uses the feminine form of Oda, the feminine form yeah. of the verb to serve, um, you know, being in submission to the Torah. To his instructions, you know. Yep. Because in Ivrit, uh, the feminine is all about like the receiving, the more passive form. Yeah. So. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Keep going with what you were, where you were going at. Um, so when we bother to look with unveiled eyes we start to see lots of Jewish stuff long before the giving of the law here's the thing about that though is it's not Jewish stuff it's Hashem stuff <laughs> right <laughs> not the Jewish calendar it's Hashem's calendar calendar yes <laughs> So much for the preposterous notion put forth by the antinomium, as well as those that teach that Hashem's Torah is only for those of Jewish descent or having undergone ritual conversion. Good night. What's wrong with this man? He's having a bad week or something, huh? <laughs> he ain't playing around. No. You know, we're you know, it's like he's taking a This ain't a broad, you know, shot across the bow, man. This is like right at the anti-missionaries who say that you can only be a Noahide. Yeah. That just ain't happening. That's right, Hashem. Okay, real quick. East Kuni on Genesis 2.15. <laughs> he says, an alternative 
or alternate exegesis of these two words, the word le avodah is to be understood as in Exodus 20, verse 8. Sheshet yamin ta'avod, which is during the six days you are to work. And the word lishmera is to be understood as devouring. 512, shomer or shamor at yom hashabbat, observe the Shabbat. In other words, God commanded Adam already at that time to observe the seventh day of the week as we observe the Shabbat after the Torah had already been given by not performing work on it. So in other words, Hizkuni was already like, you know, Hashem made Adam and was like, all right, I need you to keep Shabbat. <laughs> and by the way do it exactly how it's going to be done after the tour is given yeah it's just like wait what <laughs> he's kuni man yeah nice i mean Dude. that's the thing is you know how does that pasuk start what word does that pasuk start with genesis two fifteen. no exodus 20 verse 8 oh <laughs> Uh, it just has a phrase from it. So let me see what the, or, I mean, if you know, you can go ahead and drop it. Sakor et Yom HaShabbat. There God show. Remember. That's an infinitive verb. Uh-oh, here we go. Meaning that we are always to be conscious about the Shabbat to keep it holy. <laughs> Which, by the way, extends into the six working days of the week as well. Which is why we do what is known as the song of the day. And the reason why we do the song of the day at the conclusion of the service is because that's what they did at the temple. But um, it says that we're to always remember the Shabbat. So the song of the day was instituted to keep us mindful of that. So each day of the week is known as a particular day of the Shabbat. And this is commentary from the Archbishop Sadur. As a memorial to the temple, these psalms have been incorporated into Shakarit. The Talmud Rosh Hashanah 31a explains how each psalm was appropriate to its respective day. We will note the reasons in the commentary. The introductory sentence, today is the first day of the week before the coming Shabbat, helps us fulfill the Torah's command to remember the Shabbat. By counting the days of the week with reference to the forthcoming Shabbat, we tie our existence to the Shabbat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, that, I mean, 
you think about it because like we say hayom yom rishon ba shabbat hayom yom shani ba shabbat hayom yom shlishi ba shabbat you know and so on and so forth so learning how to number the days of the week like first day second day third day fourth day fifth day sixth day shabbat It's a really uh, good, good habit and good practice to get into, which is going to add an extra layer of uh, difficulty for us in this day and age because of the Gregorian schedule being so invasive. But, I mean, that's really how it is. That it's not really that it's Monday, Tuesday, and all that. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. The the pagan days that were instituted by Rome. Um, what helps me to avoid that aspect of assimilation is, or reassimilation in our case, hmm. is remembering Abraham Yosef Heschel's words in his book, The Sabbath, is that the Shabbat is not for the sake of the weekdays. The weekdays are for the sake of Shabbat. Oh, my goodness. Talk about perspective. Uh, yeah, okay. So, since we're talking about Shabbat, I open up Orkayim to that particular verse. Sakor et yom ha Shabbat. Orkayim presents a number of explanations for what is meant by the commandment to remember. <laughs> the Shabbos day. The meaning of this statement is that one should remember the Shabbos day daily. Beginning on the first day of the week, Yom HaRishon. This explains why the Torah seems to put the latter event before the earlier event. For had it meant that one should remember the Shabbos day when it arrives, it should have first said, six days you shall work, etc., and then said, remember the Shabbos day. Why does it reverse the order? Rather, it must be that its intent is to say that the remembrance of the, Sh of the Shabbos day should take place even before the work of the previous six days. Hmm. Beginning immediately on the first day of the week. Yom HaRishon. This is in accordance with that which our sages of blessed memory say, Makilta uh, to our verse, that one should remember the Shabbos day every day in the following manner. On the first day of the week, he should say, today is the first day of the Shabbos, and so on. <laughs> the verse concludes to sanctify it. God show. Meaning, through this practice, one is assured that he will sanctify the Shabbos when it comes. 
and he will not err by forgetting which day it is. The term to sanctify it is also intended as an expression of preparation. Accordingly, the verse is saying that one should begin preparing for Shabbos on the first day of the week, in keeping with what our sages of blessed memory said in Beta 16a, from the first day of the week, one should start preparing and purchasing for the Shabbos meals. A second approach. In stating remember the Shabbos day, the verse also wants to teach us something something else. In accordance with what our sages of blessed memory say in the Yalkut Shimoni Tehillim, A43, that on the sixth day of the week of creation, when Adam, the first man, was created, sinned by eating from the tree of knowledge, and was found guilty in judgment, the Shabbos day came and defended Adam before Hashem. It said, Master of the universe, until this day, no one has ever been killed. Shall I be the first, first day on which this will occur? Mm. It, in the merit of this argument, Adam was saved from, the, from death. This is really good. This makes a really, I, where I read from Yochanan, chapter 5, mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. the master healing the man on the Sabbath. Yeah. Yeah, we don't want no death on your butt. It's about life. Yeah, bring life. So why are the Parashim harassing Yeshua? Because he healed this man and made him complete. Mm. So that he could remember the Shabbos day and keep it holy. Wow. Clearly, they're not thinking. <laughs> they're, they're stuck in their own... Uh, personal stringencies. Yep. When Adam saw that such is the power of Shabbos, he began to sing to Helam 92.1. A psalm, a song for the Shabbos day. Accordingly, we may say that this is why Hashem said, remember the Shabbos day meaning that one should recall the great benefit that all mankind had from the Shabbos day, for it is by means of this, of its plea on behalf of Adam, that he and all of his offspring survived. The verse concludes to sanctify it, for the Shabbos day is worthy of our esteem, since the existence of every Jewish person is attributed to it, and one should therefore sanctify it. Indeed, you find that if a miracle was performed for someone on a particular day, he typically holds the anniversary of that day in great regard and esteem and celebrates it regularly year after year, both he and his descendants. Now this day of Shabbos has an even greater quality than that, for whereas the anniversary of a memorial memorable occurrence just happens to be the day on which the event took place, Shavos, and thinking about what is lacking in his work that must be done during the coming weekdays, our verse tells us that one should not even think about his work on Shavos. Go and learn the importance of this matter from 
an incident recorded in the Gemara, Shabbos 150b, regarding a certain pious individual who penalized himself for planning on Shabbos to repair a breached fence in his field after Shabbos. By resolving never to rebuild it, even after Shabbos, Hashem rewarded him by causing a caper tree to grow in the breach, which provided mm -hmm. the man and his family with sustenance for the remainder of his days. Get you some. <laughs> Do not worry about tomorrow. Yeah. For sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. Or which one of you by worrying can turn either one hair white or black? <laughs> and I bet that pious individual never even imagined what Hashem could do. You know, like it's one thing to think about, well, if the breach could just get fixed. But another thing for a tree to provide sustenance and nourishment. Man, that's a whole nother level. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, bookmark that. <laughs> So with the help of history and archaeology, we can even see things like the commandment of Zitzit, Numbers 15, 37 through 40, being practiced by the patriarchs. Genesis 38, 18, the cord is patil, which was made up of twisted threads attached to a garment used as a personal signature. There are many more examples where the patriarchs kept many of the commandments prior to them being given at Sinai. Yes, the patriarchs knew many of the commandments that would be written down after the Sinai experience. I got Rav Dessler here, and he speaks of Yitzhak's service. It's on page 127. And God saw all that he had made and, and see it was very good. On this, our rabbis comment, good means the Yetzir Tov. Very good means the Yetzir Hurrah. What? Wow. Bear sheet Rabbah 9-7. The evil inclination is called very good because the whole purpose of creation depends on it. The world was created for the Kiddush Hashem, 
which emerges from people choosing to act correctly. <laughs> and choice is only possible because of the existence of the Yetzer Hara. A human being battles against the evil within him in order to do Hashem's will. He chooses good and thereby creates a Kiddush Hashem. But even if a person, God forbid, follows the advice of the Yetzer Hara, although at first sight, this may seem to be a Kilul Hashem, ultimately, it too will lead to Kiddush Hashem. The evil will be punished according to God's judgment, and from this punishment, people will eventually learn the depth of evil which lies in sin. This will be a revelation of the truth of God's justice, which is another form of Kiddush Hashem. So God's great name is sanctified in all events, either by the good choice of the Zadik or by the punishment of the Rasha. The attribute of justice. We have already discussed the reason why Abraham's chief Mida of Hased had to be succeeded by Yitzhak's chief Mida of Gevura. Gevura, as we know, corresponds to the attribute of strict justice, Midat Hadin. The attribute of justice is the basis of all the obscurity in the world, as we have just explained. The obscurity and evil in the world make possible the Kiddush Hashem, which proceeds from human choices. And it is this Midat Hadin which insists that a person must take responsibility for his choices. After Abraham opened the gates of loving kindness, the world was flooded with great hased. As a result, the power of justice was weakened and the obscurity in the world was reduced and in need of reinforcement. This is the deeper reason why the underlying Esau's birth through our father Yitzhak, through Esau, the power of obscurity and the Midat Hadin would be strengthened. This does not mean that Esau was predestined to be a Rasha. We certainly find many instances of his connection with the obscurity as, and evil. There is the hint residing in the fact that he was all red, like a mantle of hair. Again, when Rivka passed a temple of idolatry, Esau struggled to emerge. But all these things indicate only the intensity of service which was demanded of him. There is no doubt that Esau was given powers for good corresponding to his powers for evil. Had he summoned up all his powers for good, he could have conquered the evil. He could have used his attribute of Gevura for good and thus approached the level of Yitzhak, our father. This is why Yitzhak showed him so much affection he wanted to encourage him to follow in this path of service, which was also his own. This is also the meaning of the blessing Yitzhak wanted to give him. As we shall ex explain with God's help in the next essay. To sum up, the service of God consists of continually overcoming difficulties and obstacles, a constant struggle with the Yetzirah, as Rabbi Yoraham uh, Levobitz so dramatically puts it. The essence of the service of God lies precisely in the Yetzer Hurrah. In situations where one has lost the will to do good or where the very taste of doing good is lacking, 
with all your life, even if he takes your life, refers to situations of the most difficulty. With all your might, with all your property, means even a person who normally would refuse to give up a penny will give up all his property for the love of God. Indeed, the love of God emerges from just such a situation. Without overcoming obstacles, there can be no love of God. And that's Da'at Hokma Musar 96, written in 5695. Okay, I actually pulled up that tractate of Rabah or section of Rabah. Oh, cool. Such an epic drop uh, from Rob Desler. Not a lot of footnotes here, which I was really looking forward to, but uh, they're not here. But there's a few. So here we go. This is Midrash Rabbah Bereshit 9-7. Rav Nachman Bar Shamuel Bar Nachman said in the name of Rav Shamuel Bar Nachman, Behold, it was very good. This is a reference to the good inclination, the Yetzer Hatov. It says, and behold, it was very good. This is coming to include the evil inclination. So in other words, if you look at this being include, you know, it's not only that we reject the Yetzer Tov for the sake of the Yetzer Hara, but it's like we use both of them. Which, by the way, goes with the two yods in the in the word by Yotzer in Genesis two for the forming of man. And also but, the two uh, baits and they call the bavka of the Shema. Oh yes, the two hearts, the two inclinations. Beautiful. So it says. But this is the evil inclination, or but is the evil inclination very good? Question mark and exclamation point. It says, rather, it is good because if not for the Yetzahara, a person would not build a house, would not take a wife, would not beget children, would not conduct business, and the world would have no existence. Goodness. It says, and so does Shlomo say. <laughs> and I saw that all labor and all skillful enterprise spring from man's rivalry with his neighbor. Kohelet, Ecclesiastes 4 4. One who engages or one engages in these worldly endeavors only in order to keep up with his neighbor. Since such rivalry is the work of the evil inclination, it emerges that without the evil inclination, there would be no worldly enterprise. End of that section. Mm. And I love the fact, too, that Rob Dester mentions the striving and the overcoming. Like, that brings out so much strength in who we really are. It really unlocks the hidden soul powers to be Hasidic about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Because, I mean, we don't we don't understand what we're capable of until we're put in certain situations, you know. It's like we can't reach our potential unless we're put in those situations. <laughs> you know, Dessler also points out, and that's one of the favorite things about his essay, is that he points out the chief media of the patriarchs. Abraham is Hased, Yitzhak is Gevura, and uh, Yaakov is Tiferet. Each one of them were put in situations where they had to exercise the other aspect that is not dominant in them. So, you know, Rabbi Trugman Shlita, he did a series uh, for the last year's cycle of Torah portions called Living with the Parsha or Living Through the Parsha. And this week's Parsha of Toldot was all about the uh, application of being able to operate with the opposite balanced uh, Mita. So if Yitzhak being Devorah, having to learn how to operate with Chesed, and it goes the same for us that, you know, whatever our natural tendencies are, it's like we have to learn how to balance that out with the opposite effect as well. So if we're usually more uh, harsh and stoic and like stern with things, then we, we need to balance that out with aspects of compassion and empathy and kindness and things like that. And so that was one of the teaching lessons of this Parsha. And that came from that series. So I thought that was interesting that you just mentioned that. Yeah, it's like we're having to master the emotional Sephiro and bring them all into balance. Pretty much. <laughs> For some reason, I'm, I'm stuck on this word of saying, sounds worthy. <laughs> but um, I mean I, I definitely mean it it's so true it's like that is a very very worthy endeavor you know and all of us may Hashem help us to strive in that I think one way that we can achieve it is um, starting you know staying in Torah starting with you know you're a person whom you pair with. Yeah, got to have the chemistry. It's not just with the person who's, who knows more Torah than you do. It's also with your peers. It's also with those be, who don't have your level of knowledge. Hmm. And being able to mentor people. Yeah, exactly. That's the whole thing is... Um, you know, being careful that we're not given over to extremes, you know, to make sure that we're providing a balanced perspective. Um, that was know, one thing. Oh, you got some? Oh, it's like your Kubuta was telling you, you know, um, make sure you understand the shot. <laughs> you know, and mine's telling me that don't give over to extremes. Uh, 
you know, as much as I love studying the Kabbalah and as much as I love this book that I got, you know, Kotam, still. Yeah. It's it's good that we're doing the Rashi together of the Aldias because that's really important because that's classic Torah learning. Um, you know, and then, of course, the Talmud, you know, sages. Yep. You know, being familiar with their words, uh, like it says in um, Perky Albo, you know, drink their words as if it were water. Yeah. Cover yourself in their dust. Now, I was just going to say that that was one of the things I did learn back in Edom, back in Christianity, was that you should have the like the uh, the person who's ahead of you have that connection, that relationship that's ongoing so that you're growing. Also have the person who is your peer and then have the person who you're actually mentoring and like have those be happening simultaneously if possible. Or if not, put them in close proximity of where at least within a certain time frame, you're working that out. Kind of like a Musar thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting because I recently started uh, volunteering for uh, the Holy Language Institute. It's run by uh, Izzy Avraham. Nice. Um, he lives in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, he's a former Canadian citizen, but um, I'm part of the benefit of volunteering, and my wife volunteers as well, is that um, we have interactions with other volunteers. Yeah. Uh, Marco Polo. <laughs> and so this provides me with the opportunity to share what I know. Get you some. Yeah, you know, I get out all the sources. I start pointing to them. I, I get out my yacht and I start doing a little pointing to this so that they can see for themselves, you know. You know, it's. But we're also being taught. And Izzy. yeah, Izzy does what's called Mishnah snapshots. <laughs> nice. Uh, he, has a, he has a YouTube channel, so you might want to check it out. Send so, me a link. Yeah, shameless plug there. <laughs> hey, we'll take all we can get, man. You know, especially in this day, we need to bind yes. together, you know. If if it's light, light it up. Oh, Come on. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, you know how to fight? Okay, get over here then. <laughs> we also learn from what the our fellow stewards. Have. Yeah. They bring what they bring. We bring what we bring. You know, it, it's, you know, we're all building each other up, you know. Yes. Um, That's how it works. Um, to raise our Mondrega, you know. Yeah. It's not just a video game. But that's what we do in real life. Yeah. <laughs> Which, um, by the way, when you say Mondrega, those are like some of the most popular games these days. Because I'm around a lot of people who play video games, and they always talk about being OP and stuff like that. 
So the whole thing about uh, raising your level, building your attributes and all sorts of stuff with your character so that you can be stronger and win your levels and competitions and things like that. So it's very interesting how much it really parallels what we should actually be doing. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that reminds me of games I used to play back in the day. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's happening now. Um, so it's good that y'all yeah, are Yeah, I had um, this one game. I had a very powerful character that you just did not want to mess with. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, um, I don't want to digress <laughs> too much. Uh, the, point of that, the point of that was just the, the whole thing about my Drago. Yeah. Like, that is something that we have to realize we do need to increase in as much as we can, you know, like, don't, don't shy away from it. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. I think the real refinement comes is when we're putting it into, into action. Yes. I, you know, that's when it really happens. And that's, and that's, to be honest, is when we're really tested. Mm -hmm. Like when I'm in the middle of something and my wife asks me to do something, you know, the, always the yes or hurrah raises its ugly head and says, I don't want to do that. I'm in the middle of something, you know, <laughs> you know. and we both I don't know do. what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't be doing it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, you know what I'm talking about, Nick. No married guy no is not ignorant of it, you know. Man. You know, especially if you're walking out Torah, you know. A lot of times I don't really realize that he's in the middle of something. <laughs> hey, you're being used by a shem, man. Yeah. <laughs> Telling you, like holiness, man. No joke. No, it's not. You know, he... but you know, we read about this all the time, and then it like the opportunity presents itself in real life, and then we're like, and then I don't have you... time for this right now. You exactly. Know? What do you do? You make up all these excuses. You kvetching. You know, <laughs> do I really have to do this? <laughs> you know. <Yeah. laughs> That's out to the Eshtekayils. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Helping us really do what we're reading. Like, did you read that? Did you get it? Okay, because here's your opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is so funny. <laughs> now I'm going to be like, okay, it's very good. <laughs> 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 yeah, right. <laughs> so I'm gonna be like, so like I'm like, man, really? Right now? It's like, okay. Really, you're talking is, about the second day good. of creation where he did not say that it was good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, you know, we're talking about this and the one word in reference to the Kabbalah is Betul, nullification. Ooh. Get you some of that. You know, it's, 
a realigning of our consciousness with the Adamic consciousness of the upper Adam, of Adam Kadmon, you know, to touch a little bit on the Kabbalah. But um, yeah. So with the help of history and archeology, span we can even see these things like the commandment of Zizi being practiced by the patriarchs. And I'm just repeating this. Uh, Genesis 38, 18, the cord is patil, which was made up of twisted threads attached to a garment used as a personal signature. There are many more examples where the patriarchs kept many of the commandments prior to them being given at Sinai. Yes, the patriarchs knew many of the commandments that would be written down after the Sinai experience. And so we read, and Shem said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of Hashem to do righteousness and justice that Hashem may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Genesis 18, 17, and 19. And Abraham, the father of our faith, practiced many of the very things that we are now told are done away with. Oh, wow. Or are only for Jews. Wow. Street oat. <laughs> it's just utter nonsense. Yep. You know, you know, what's a phrase I've always heard in my tenure in, in uh, Pentecostal is that, you know, they always quote from Hebrews. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah, there's that. So you're telling me the Torah is done away with? So you don't believe that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever then? Oh, Flag on the play. <laughs> you know, for the Just same reason, it. I would ask, are we free to cast aside the commandment to love him with all of oh. our hearts, all of our soul, and all that we have? Wow. Side yeah. note. <laughs> The gematria of Betul is 107. Same gematria as Onan, one of the sons of Yehuda. And it comes from the root word On, which is Aleph Bav Noon, which means my strength. Mm. So in my weakness, he is strong. My grace is sufficient. 
my uh my life is hidden in mashiach i no longer live he lives in me because you know betul is the concept of the mikvah like immersion immersion and the whole thing about casting aside your own desire your own um your own way of thinking even you know where you defer yourself to Hashem. Like it's his status, it's his righteousness, it's his thoughts, it's his path, his truth. So anyway, just a little yeah. drop in there on uh the nice. tool. Yeah, um I just thought of another word that um Yosef was pointing to. Uh Mima Eka from within you. Oh, yes. Where, Go on. And I pointed out to Yosef that word is in the singular, as does Yisrael. Because the cough is a first person singular pronominal suffix. And because Yisrael. And Gematria is equal to the first letter of each of the 10 Sephirot, which is 541. Mm -hmm. So if you don't nullify yourself, then you're not Israel. Wow. If you don't take up your Torah and follow the master, then you cannot be his Talmud. The master even says that he who doesn't deny himself cannot be my Talmud. Wow. So this whole thought about the ceremonial laws, the, the testimonial laws, and which ones we're going to do and which ones we're not going to do, that's showing clearly there is no batul there. Yeah. Um, Man. Do not think that I came to abolish. <laughs> um, Yeah, now it's coming into my mind to read from Kotam. Me and Ray were starting this on Shabbat. Um, Best time to do it. One page. Uh, yes. Okay, uh, page 71. Wow, I flipped right to it. 
Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, the second paragraph. It is. I, this was just such a mega drop, man. I, I just like. Here's another model from the 1979 classic science fiction thriller, Alien. Adam is like the cosmonaut in the movie. He's going down into the hull of this supermassive spaceship containing thousands of large egg-like objects. They have been there for a million years and they would continue to be there for another million years because they need a host. Mm. For only a host can activate them. You cannot even say that these alien pods have intent to do, e to do evil. See, this is the question I'm, put, I'm putting out, and it may seem controversial because we don't understand. Is there really good and is there really evil? I see where you're going. Because they are completely dormant. Yeah, the only way that they become evil, so to speak, is if you give way to them. Yeah. Like, in other words, like the host activating them, because if there's no host, if there's no avenue, no, no outlet for these things to go forth, you know, you, they don't really take effect. They're just there, quote unquote, in potential. Yeah. See, before the cosmonaut even gets close to touch one. However, this human energy field triggers one of these pod shaped things and the top of it opens up. So the cosmonaut, like a good explorer and scientist, gets closer to take a look. And the rest of the story is modern science fiction history. <laughs> Man, that's terrible. This is a crucial model because something similar occurred, albeit in an extremely higher dimension, with Adam's consciousness. Within his higher dimensional computer simulation, Adam miscalculated and accidentally allowed a backdoor entry for the cosmic pathogenic virus to get in. Wow. There is a section in Genesis about the Nakos serpent who coaxed the higher dimensional Adamic consciousness and enabled the spiritual contamination of Hava and Adam. The virus is the contamination but be careful this is not the christian doctrine of original sin this is the doctrine of the original adam causing an unintended dimensional collapse this miscalculation triggered a domino effect of gargantuan proportions that allowed a lower aspect only a fractured fraction a fractal of adam to be commandeered by the dementiality virus. <clears throat> but this is not the dogma of original sin. <clears throat> in fact, in the original Hebrew, it is well known that the word which is always translated as sin does not mean sin at all. Rather, it means to miss the mark or to miscalculate. The only original sin is for us to believe that the original Adam committed an original sin, but this is a whole other discussion. So, this otherworldly virus got into the computer and into the simulation. Part of the consciousness of Adam is in the simulation. 
because he has projected a fractal of his consciousness into it. When you are playing a video game, there is a part of you in there for sure. <laughs> At the very least, you are giving it life by turning it on. Mm. So the simulation is using a bit of your life force, especially if one develops an addiction to the game. Oh my gosh. There is another important sci-fi movie called Tron. This is so good. And the sequel called Tron Legacy, dude. In this <laughs> I know scenario, movies. <laughs> in this scenario, the hero gets sucked into the computer, is trapped, and then becomes part of the infected program itself. Uh, have you seen those two movies at all? I've seen the fight scenes. There's but one, I watch the whole movie. There's one crucial scene. Okay. In Tron Legacy, where Flynn, mm-hmm. where Sam meets up with his father, Flynn. Mm-hmm. And Flynn explains to him what has been going on, on in the on the grid. That this program that he created, Clue, hijacked the grid for his own purposes. Hmm. This is what the Nakash did. He hijacked the grid. He hijacked the garden and infected it with a virus. The reality that you and I are caught up in is nothing but a simulation. The consciousness that we have is nothing but a fractal of the Adamic consciousness. That's why the matrix would be a thing. Yeah, he's referred to that one as well. Yeah, because even Agent Smith called himself a virus. Yeah. Makes sense. This cosmic virus got into the hermetically sealed Garden of Eden laboratory. How it did that is also another episode code. And what does it start doing? Like any typical virus, it starts making replicas from the equivalent of Adam's spiritual DNA. So it makes the little Adam's micro-Adamic clones. It got its hands on only one microscopic fractal of the soul essence of Adam, but that is all it needs. Mm-hmm. It makes endless copies, one after the other, each one saying, I am the real Adam. I am the real Adam. False Messiahs? Mm-hmm. Here they go. This is the root of the false messiahs. Yeah, exactly. There it is. This is what Yokinon's getting at in his first letter. Well, this is the root of our global genealogy. This is all humanity. We are all clones from the real Adam, except now we have been taken hostage by the dimensionality virus, and moreover, we are feeding it. We are all, we are our own worst enemy. We are feeding the 3D reality as it continues to separate its 3D coordinates from the true 4D grid. Unwittingly, humanity as we know it is truly living off the grid. But living off the higher dimensional 4D grid is not a good thing. 
It is the virus that gives us our sense of separateness from the higher dimension, AKA God's consciousness. The virus is what gives us our existential sense of, oh, of course, this is the true reality. It creates a simulated world, a virtual reality of higher primary reality, a virtual reality in of itself. It's not the fundamental problem. The fundamental problem is that in this scenario, the virtual reality claims that it is the only true reality and consciousness starts within it. This is part of the poison of the Nakash. Right. So now we have a problem. The dimensionality virus is systemic. It has taken over everything and it keeps making endless copies of itself. Why? Because once it gets started, this is what viruses do for a living, quite literally, in order to live. <laughs> There's another verse formula in Genesis where Adam Kadmon, the higher dimensional primordial Adam, with his 10 Sephiro configuration, says to Adam Harishon, the replicating lower dimensional original Adam, be careful. If you eat from it, i.e. touch your consciousness to it and you stimulate it, you will cause it to create a virtual simulation of your consciousness in a lower dimension then you, Adam, the programmer, will have to go into the computer system itself to remove the virus. This is the verse in Genesis. On that day you eat from it, you will surely die. This is not a punishment. This is not a wrathful God. This is a higher dimensional mathematical formula. Death in Kabbalah is defined as anytime something goes from its true level to a level below it even just one level that is called death in this case. It is dimensional death. It is worse than the Phantom Zone in the original Superman stories where the place called the Phantom Zone was an other dimensional prison universe that existed outside the natural space-time continuum and would be as if we were sentenced to become flat 2D characters in a graphic novel and only in black and white to boot. Goodness. Glad I'm not the only one who uses pop culture references. I love his use of science fiction, man, because that's what I grew up watching. It literally illustrates the point, like a visual aid. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, the illustration on page 75, you know, really illustrates it. Yeah. Our collapse from the hypercube to the cube to the plane. I see it. Yeah. Yeah. It totally uh, lends to the understanding of why we get so limited and why there are so many arguments and why there's so many agendas and systems out there. And we can't fathom, you know, what we lost. We can't even compute 4D, you know? Because all we have is a silhouette. 
Wow, we are. This picture is a picture of limitation. <laughs> you will not pass go. Do not collect two hundred dollars. <laughs> wow, that's powerful, bro. Yeah, I mean, that really stuck with me, man. But go back to the understanding of those eggs aren't necessarily evil. It's what gets done with them. And I could see how the illustration would technically break down, but the idea of when we were supposed to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it was supposed to be after Kiddush. We enter into Shabbat, sanctify the name of Hashem, then we could partake of that tree. But we were conned into taking of it before it's time. Like, don't follow the appointed times, you know? And you kind of look at the whole aspect of which voice are you listening to, which is the whole thing about if you will just listen to my voice. So, I mean, it really does. Uh, it goes beyond. It's always deeper. The arguments show that there's just a, a lower base to everything. Like you can actually transcend it. Like case in point where you're talking about with morality, we can actually transcend morality. Which morality becomes subject to the higher reality. The higher dimensions. Mm-hmm. Like that it's the, there, the but we don't really. Like, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Like, go ahead. The God consciousness. The ain't so. Because this is what we're ultimately pointing to. Yeah. And we, we read in the letter to Corinth that we've been given the mind of Mashiach. It's just kind of like, okay, there you go. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's through Mashiach that we realign our consciousness and we remove the virus that is creating this simulation that we are in. That is not the true reality of the, con of the God consciousness. It's like in um, the first Tron movie, right? Flynn goes in for the, to the grid the first time. And it's been hijacked by the master control program. Well, at one critical point in the movie, he hooks up with Tron, who fights for the users. And he can, and Tron is, at one point, is able to communicate with his user. And his user gives him a set of instructions that will reset the system. Oh, how about that? To make it an the open system again. Chat. Yeah, to make it an open system, meaning without the restriction. This is Mitzrayim. No Greek, no Jew, no male, no female, slave, nor free. Yeah, Not let my people go that they may serve me. Nice. And eventually, you know, Tron fights off with uh, 
fights and defeats Zarg, and he makes it into the uh, to the MCP. And Flynn distracts the MPC so that Tron can get his disc in there and erase the program and reset the system. Nice. And Tron Legacy basically builds on that, except this time it's a program that that uh, Flynn created himself. Mm. Clue. Uh, which stands for a codified likeness utility. <laughs> Except Clue, like the MCP, hijacked the grid for his own purposes. You know, at one point in the movie, he says to Flynn, am I to create the perfect system? And Flynn kind of goes, yeah. And Clue's just not believing a word of it, you know. <laughs> so he sends, sends his goons to try and take care of him, but Tron ends up fighting for Flynn, and Flynn's able to get away. But they encounter these thing, these others called the ISOs, whose root code contains the answers for disease. I mean, getting rid of all that, you know? Yeah, which back to John 5. Yeah. You know, Rashiach was getting rid of that. Bio-digital jazz, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, Oh, yeah, John 5.21. Just as the Father raises the dead and makes them alive, so too the Son makes alive anyone he wants. The Father does not judge anyone, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son so that all may honor the Son as they honor the Father. Whoever fails to honor the Son is not honoring the Father who sent him. That was, I mean, do not think I've come to abolish the Torah. Because if you think that, then you're not honoring the Son. And at the same time, you're not honoring the Father who is the Torah. Yes, indeed, I tell you that whoever hears what I am saying and trusts the one who sent me has eternal life. That is, he will not come up for judgment, but has already crossed over from death to life. Yes, indeed, I tell you that there is coming a time, in fact, it's already here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who listen will come to life. For just as the Father has life in himself, so he has given the Son life to have in himself. Also, he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Don't be surprised at this, because the time is coming when all who are in the grave will hear his voice and come out, and those 
who have done good to a resurrection of life and those who have done evil to a resurrection of judgment. He's quoting Daniel here. Mm -hmm. I can't do anything on my own. That this, you know, this is stands as dichotomy to those who keep saying, oh, Jesus brought something new. Uh, wow. So how do you reconcile that with the statement of, apart from my father, I can do nothing? Because, I mean, in order for him to bring something new, you got to deal with that statement. Mm -hmm. And then Kohalet, uh, there's nothing new under the sun. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is right, because I don't seek my own desire, but the desire of the one who sent me. If I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is not valid. But there is someone else testifying on my behalf, and I know that the testimony he is making is valid. And then I have something from Rabbi Nachman in Likute Moharan uh, 6. Mm -hmm. Each person is required to minimize his own kavod, honor, and maximize the honor of the omnipresent one. For anyone who pursues honor does not attain kavod Elohim, but kavod Malachim, of which it is said, Proverbs 25, 2, but the glory of kings is an investigated matter. Everyone inquires about him to see if he is deserving of such honor, asking, who is he and what is he, Esther 7, 5, that he is afforded such honor, and they oppose him, saying that he is not deserving of such kavod. However, the person who flees from glory, minimizing his own glory, while maximizing the glory of God, attains kavod Elohim, and they do not investigate whether he is deserving of his glory or not. Of him it is said, the glory of the Lord is a concealed matter, for it is forbidden to inquire into this type of glory. Now we know why the Mashiach was always pointing us to the father and saying, you know, it's not, it's not really me, it's him. Yeah, if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is not valid. Man. But there is someone else testifying on my behalf, and I know that the testimony he's making is valid. You have sent Yochanan, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I collect human testimony. Rather, I say these things so that you might be saved. He was a lamp burning and shining, 
and for a little while you were willing to bask in his light. But I have testimony that is greater than Yochanan's, for the things the Father has given to me, given me to do, the very things I am doing now testify on my behalf that the Father has sent me. In addition, the Father who sent me has himself testified on my behalf, but you have never heard his voice or seen or seen his shape. Devarim 4.15. Yeah. Moreover, his word does not stay in you because you don't trust the one he sent. You keep examining mm -hmm. the Tanakh because you think that in it you have eternal life. Those very scriptures bear witness to me. But you won't come to me in order to have life. I don't collect praise from men, but I do know you people. <laughs> I know that you have no love for God in you. I have come in okay. my Father's name, and you do not accept me. Okay. If, if someone else comes in his own name, you will him you will accept. How can you trust? You're busy collecting praise from each other instead of seeking praise from God only. Remember what I read from Likute Moran here. Kavod Malakim, Kavod Elohim. But don't think that it is I who will be your accuser before the Father. Do you know who will accuse you? Moshe, the very one you have counted on. For if you really believe Moshe, you would believe me because it was about me that he wrote. But if you don't believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Man. Yeah, Rebbe Nachman goes on uh, 6.2. Now it's impossible to attain this kavod, Elohim, except by means of teshuva. And the essence of repentance is that when a person hears himself being insulted, he remains quiet and silent. For there can be no kavod without kaf. And kaf is an aspect of kater crown. This corresponds to AA, as is known, which corresponds to repentance. For the meaning of AA is, I am prepared to be. That is, before repenting, a person does not yet have being. It is as if, as if he does not yet exist in the world. Indeed, he would be better off had he not been created. Erevin 13b. Uh, I think Judas Iscariot, who betrayed the master. But when he prepares to purify himself and repent, he is then in the aspect of uh, yea. In, in other words, he will then exist in the world, i.e., I am prepared to be. This is an aspect of Keter because the word Keter suggests waiting, which is an aspect of repentance. As our sages taught, anyone who undertakes to purify himself is assisted from above. It is like the allegory of the person who comes to buy sweet-smelling oil. They tell him, wait, Yoma 38b. This corresponds to Keter, as it is written in Job 36.2, Qatar, wait for me while I... And I will tell you, 
before repentance, however, the aspect of AA is hidden from him, for he has not yet prepared himself to exist in the world. And the hidden face of AA, i.e. the Akuraim of the holy name AA, has the same numerical value as Dom, blood, i.e. split blood and scorn, as is written in 1 Samuel 2.30, for I honor those who honor me, but those who scorn me will be dishonored, the blood, which is in the left hollow of the heart, the abode of the evil inclination, as is written in Ecclesiastes 10.2, but a fool's heart inclines to his left, still retains its strength and power. This is the reason he is subjected to ridicule and split blood. They are the aspect of a hidden and turned face of AA, which has the same numerical value as Dom, blood. Now, the rectification for this is to turn from Dom to Domi, quiet. He should be among those who hear themselves ridiculed and yet do not retort, nor should he be vexed by affronts to his honor. For when he fulfills be quiet before God, then the Holy One strikes his enemies dead, as is written in Psalm 37, 7. Be dome before God, and heed kolel, hope, longingly for him. God will strike, strike down, kalolim, dead, getting 7a. This is Psalm 109, 22, and my heart is kolol, hollowed within me, i.e. through his quiet and silence. The bad blood in the left hollow is lessened. This is an aspect of slaughtering the evil inclination through which he merits kavod Elohim, as is written in Psalm 50:23. Whoever brings an offering of thanksgiving honors me. And the sages explain that this refers to slaughtering the evil inclination. Sanhedrin 43b. Nice. That's all Likute? Yep, Likute Mohoran 6, 1 and 2. Wow. Fully loaded. I can tell yeah. you I will definitely be going back to this part of the podcast during the week. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Abraham, the father of our faith, practiced many of the very things we are now told are done away with or are only for Jews. Yes, the revelation of Hashem's righteous standard was progressive. Yes, it is likely too much to believe that the patriarchs had full Passover seders, but the basic tenets of the Torah have always been kept by the righteous. What foolishness is it to think that those that keep the faith of Abraham won't look Jewish? in the eyes of those around them. Walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had, Romans 
Let's see, we have like 20 minutes, so I can touch a little bit on the, the Torah portion. Um, so Parashah told all generations, the scriptures are full of genealogies, or at least what appear to be genealogies. There's something about these that makes most people simply skip over them. <laughs> The genealogies of in this week's Parsha are not too long, so they are not as boring to the English reader. One reason why we are often bored with biblical genealogies is that we don't understand their significance. Beloved, no word, no word is out of place in scripture. Every jot and tittle has a purpose. <laughs> These genealogical verses we find in our Bibles are telling us some very important things. They are meant to explain something. Sadly, when faced with what they explain, the modern reader simply ignores the message because they think the message is one of fatalism. Mm. The message is this. In many ways, we are walking and talking representations of our parents and their parents. The title for this week's scripture portion is found in the first verse. ben Abraham, Abraham et Yitzhak. It should be noted that we see the conjunctive vav that begins the parsha. I have this marked off in Orkaim because I was looking at it last night um, where he says um, and these are the offspring of Yitzhak son of Abraham Abraham fathered Yitzhak what I find very interesting is when I look at the genealogy in Matthew and Luke mm -hmm. in, the, in the Dalish it uses the word fathered Mm. Oh, lead. So we need to determine the answers to the following two difficulties in this verse. One, the verse begins by introducing the offspring of Yitzhak, <coughs> and these are the offspring of Yitzhak. But then instead of immediately mentioning the offspring of Yitzhak, it mentions the birth of Yitzhak. Abraham fathered Yitzhak. And the footnote, the mention of Yitzhak's birth seems to be out of place in the discussion of Yitzhak's offspring. In addition, the verse does not complete the thought that it started. The actual offspring of Yitzhak are not mentioned until verse, verses 25 and 26 for but here. Then number two, in addition to this information being out of place, it is also unnecessary to inform us that Abraham fathered Yitzhak since this is clearly stated in the previous passages. See, note 2C, Rashi, Ibn Ezra, and Ramban to this verse for their resolutions of these questions, and I have it marked off in the Ramban as well. So, Orkaim offers seven approaches to resolve these questions. The seven? First, yeah. <laughs> Good night. 
of course, you don't have time to read it all. <laughs> no, I'm just thinking about the whole fact of having seven different ways to look at this. Yeah. And you know that's not even all of them. <laughs> in truth the intention of the verse is as follows the beginning of the verse and these are the offspring of Yitzhak refers to those who are mentioned later at the end of the passage verses 25 and 26 i.e. Yaakov and Esau but having mentioned the children of Yitzhak the verse must address how it is that Yitzhak had children at all for we already know that when Yitzhak was born, he was spiritually incapable of ever producing offspring. For his soul came from the element of Nukva, as we have written above, 1810. If so, one may wonder, how did he have children? For this reason, our verse concludes by saying, which can be translated as, Abraham caused Yitzhak to father, father children meaning that Abraham gave Yitzhak the spiritual power to produce offspring, for he drew down for him a soul that is capable of producing offspring. And this was done through Abraham's actions at the Akedah, the binding of Yitzhak upon the altar, as we have written above. Thus the word holy in this verse does not mean produced offspring, but cause to produce offspring. Abraham enabled Yitzhak to produce offspring through the events of the Akeda. Yep, that's it. The place where Gevura became Chesed and vice versa. Yep. Yeah, there's this uh, approach in Sinead uh, Lukot as well. He has, in other words, uh, was it the Eliyahu monk? Monk has three approaches to this about the Akeda. I'll read. I'll read the second approach from the Orkaim. Uh, the verse additionally means to convey another idea, which can be understood based on the statement of the sages of blessed memory, Yavamot, sixty-four a. Rashi, the verse 21 below. In explaining the verse, Hashem responded to his plea above, out being, uh, below verse 21. The sages explained that although both Yitzhak and Rivka pleaded with Hashem for children, Hashem responded specifically to the prayers of Yitzhak, not Rivka. Because the merit of the prayer of a Zadik, who is the child of a wicked person, cannot be compared to the merit of the prayer of a Zadik who is the child of a Zadik. Yitzhak's father was the Zadik, Abraham, whereas Rivka's father was wicked Betuel. The quote ends here. We thus learned that it was only because Yitzhak had a father who was a Zadik, i.e. Abraham, that Hashem favored him and gave him children. This is the meaning of the verse statement Abraham caused Yitzhak to father children. That is, through the merit of Abraham. Abraham enabled Yitzhak to father children. What's interesting, based on these two approaches so far from the Orkayim, if we read Matthew's 
genealogy and when we come to Yeshua and how Yosef fathered him. In other words, you know how um, Yochanan says in his first uh, letter, you know, behold what love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. As this, we are fathered by uh, Mashiach and that he causes us to uh, to father children ourselves to make a Talmudim because the sages say that even if you don't have physical children of your own yeah if you take someone under your wing and you teach them Torah it's as if they're your child so Polid has a lot of has some spiritual implications based on what the Orkaim is saying here. So um, a little more from the Parsha. Um, So the problem with the word toldot, translated generations, or in this version, genealogy, is that there is no such word in Hebrew. Not really. The word comes from the root yalad, which is usually rendered to bring forth or born. Good to know. That's basically the essence of the word holy, to bring forth, to, to actually create. I looked up the conjugation for that verb, uh, and, it, and that's what it comes up with. In uh, Barron's 501 Hebrew verbs. Yeah, to bring forth or born. This is the same root as the word translated begot, yalad, in the same verse. In the usage, the word tends to mean something akin to where someone came from and where they are going. It is used to explain the person, a kind of identity, in the way we explain ourselves in Western cultures by telling people our name. The biblical way is to tell the name of, tell the name of someone and their father's name and their grandfather's name. This is something we rarely do in Western cultures. Because <laughs> in Hebrew, everything's in a name. Toldo generations is not only about where you came from, who your ancestors were, it's also about where you are going. Toldo generations carries the hopes, dreams, and disappointments into the future. This is the theme of this week's scripture portion. We are talking about transgenerational characteristics. This is where most people get uncomfortable as if they are cast by some invisible die so let me show you what I mean. Remember our father, Abraham? Remember what he did twice? First in Egypt and then in uh, Gerar? Here's what he told Sarah upon entering Egypt. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. Genesis 12, 
13. Years later, upon entering Gerar, he told the inhabitants, Now Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah, Genesis 22. We know that Abraham had a problem with this. He concealed his true relationship with Sarah. Now look what we find in this week's portion. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar, and the men of the place asked about his wife, and he said, she is my sister, for he was afraid to say she is my wife, because he thought, lest the men of the place kill me for Rebekah, because she is beautiful to behold. Genesis 26, 6 and 7. Beloved, that is not a coincidence. Isaac did what his father did for the same reason. Also found in this week's portion is another connection between father and sons. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit and eat my game that your soul may bless me. Genesis 27, 4. In a similar way that his father Isaac had deceived Avimelech about identity, Jacob, at the urging of his mother, deceived his father Isaac. From Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, deceit. Sadly, it doesn't end there. Later, we will see Jacob's sons deceiving him about Yosef. So just to give the takeaway, walk in the steps of the faith, which our father Abraham did. Romans 4.12. May Hashem empower us to do it and continue to strengthen us day by day. Okay. Modei ani lefanaka Adonai Elohe. I thank you, O Hashem, my God, that you have established my portion with those who dwell in the study hall, and you have not established my portion with idlers. For I rise early, and they arise early. I rise early for words of Torah, and they arise early for idle words. I toil, and they toil. I toil and receive reward, and they toil and do not receive reward. I run, and they run. I run to the life of the world to come, and they run to the pit of destruction. As it is written, and you, O God, you will lower them into the well of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit shall not live out half their days. But as for me, I will trust in you. Amen. Amen. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu Torah temet, vechaye olam natah betokeinu. Baruch atah Adonai, notain ha-Torah.